We're glad to be able to come together around the Lord's Word. The Lord's given us freedom in our country right now. We don't know how long that'll last, that we'll be able to hold Bibles in our hands. But I'm thankful that we do have that freedom. I'm also thankful for just the continued generosity towards our Bible fund. Uh, We have set aside uh, money that people just give into this fund, apart from tithes and offerings, to say we want to purchase Bibles. Because we want to make sure that everybody has a Bible in their hands. So if you don't own a Bible... We just got a new shipment of Bibles in that look just like this. I'm using one of the new ones this morning to, to prove to you it's a genuine Bible. They're just as good as anything that I would preach out of because it's just the Word of God. And we want to make sure everybody has access to that. So if you need a Bible, please grab one on your way out. You can write your name in it. Or be if you already have one, be willing to give it away and come back and grab another one. But we want to make sure that people get the Word of God in their hands because this is the truth. This is the truth. And we need to be feeding on that because... There's a lot outside and even there's a lot inside of us that's trying to deceive us and take us away from Jesus and his truth. We want to make sure that we're on solid ground. And so if you need a Bible, we have them in the table in the foyer in the back or on the table on the side. And as you leave, please pick one of those up. But we're going to go to the word of God again this morning and see what he says in the book of Revelation. So let's pray and then we'll head into Revelation chapter 18. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we do have not to just read words on a page. We could, we could pick up many books in this world and do that. And to not just read things about Jesus. There's plenty of news articles that talk about you. But rather to pick up the word that you have given about yourself so that we would clearly understand who you are. So we would clearly understand your desires and so that we can see through your eyes what is going on in this world and what is going on in our hearts. And so, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us a powerful word this morning Lord, not because of any one of us, but because of you. You're full of truth and grace, and we pray that you would speak to us this morning through your word, that we might be a changed people for you. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been going through the book of Revelation. The book starts by saying, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. So if you get nothing else out of today, remember this. This is about Jesus. This is about Jesus. And as I warned you last week, both last week and this week are a little bit of a tough word for us to take. Uh, it's, it's a hard medicine to have to swallow. And so today I think will actually be a little bit more tough than last week, even though in some ways they might be tied together. But if you would turn to Revelation chapter 18, if you have your Bible, we're going to start in verse 1. Now, the Lord's going to start talking about what's called Babylon. And just so you know, before we get into that, what Babylon is representing isn't just a place over in the Middle East right now, but Babylon was given as the description for the system of the world. Anything that's not of Jesus. So if there is a group of people, nations, an entire globe of humanity that has gathered itself and just is doing whatever it wants and is in complete sin and is in deception and following Satan's will and doing all that, that is Babylon. So that's what's being talked about is this whole system that's apart from Jesus. So that's where we come into Revelation 18 and it says this. John is writing, he says, after this... I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen! Fallen is Babylon the great! She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, And the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power 
of her luxurious living. So this angel comes and this announcement goes out that says, hey, Babylon, that great system that spans the entire globe that most of humanity is caught up in, it is gone. It is fallen. It is going to be destroyed. And so here is the beginning of the end. As Jesus is coming back, this is Babylon being done away with. And if the decree comes from God, he has said, you know what? I'm done with it. I, I can take no more. The sin has come to its fullest and I can't have it. So what we see out of the rest of this is kind of a response at what happens to that. It says in verse four, then that this other voice, God's voice comes, says, I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues for her sins are heaped high as heaven. And God has remembered her iniquities, pay her back as she herself has paid back others and repay her double for her deeds, makes a double portion for her in the cup uh, she mixed as she glorified herself and lived in luxury. So give her a like measure of torment and mourning since in her heart, she says, I sit as a queen. I am no widow and mourning. I shall never see for this reason. Her plagues will come in a single day death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. So God says Babylon has been so bad, even though this system and all the people that are in it think they're untouchable, it has become so corrupt that everybody's involved, everybody's been in sin, and it's so bad, I'm just going to do away with it. So what does he do? He first says, okay, my people, you who are of the faith in Christ, Come out of her. No longer be a part of her because I need you to come out of her so I can destroy her. So if you can hear my voice and you are a follower of Jesus, when Jesus calls you, go. Don't stay behind. He is about to destroy Babylon. And it's at that point you got to get out. You got you to gotta be untangled from what is going on in this world and say, I have to be with Jesus. He is everything to me. And so I must leave Babylon. You got to get out. Well, now there's going to be a description. I'm kind of moving quickly through this passage because what ends up happening is as Babylon is going down, there's this, there's this going away of this thing that everybody's caught up into. And so suddenly everybody's like, oh, it's leaving. It's gone. I can't have it anymore. See who the people are that come. It first starts with the kings of the earth in verse 9. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality. And again, this isn't just the physical sense, but in Scripture, specifically here in Revelation, it's speaking of sexual immorality as just an adultery of the heart, that we have been impassioned, not just physically, but also spiritually, in a way with all that the world does. So it's speaking of a heart that is in adultery uh, against God. So, so the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning and they will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour, your judgment has come. And now for the merchants of the earth, it says, and the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, and chariots, and slaves, that is, 
human souls. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you and all your delicacies and all your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. And now for the merchants, it says in verse 15, and the merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls. For in a single hour, all this wealth has been laid waste. And now for all the people who are transporting this stuff all over the world, it says, and all shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors and all whose trade is on the sea stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. So here God has said, I'm, I'm getting rid of Babylon. I'm completely destroying her. My people come out of her. And as Babylon starts going down, it says it happens quick. They say it's in a single day. It's in a single hour. It goes fast. And all the people on the earth, it starts with the kings and the dwellers and the merchants and the people buying and the people selling and even the people shipping, the people who are taking these goods from over here and they're delivering over here. And, you know, maybe they're not all ship fares nowadays. We have UPS. Okay, we have the United States Postal Service. We've got couriers. We've got there's a multitude of ways to get the goods from here to there. And when everybody saw that this was happening, the people selling, the people whose national economies are set up on this, the people who were doing the delivering and the people receiving the deliveries. What did they all do? They wept and they mourned for what? When they see Babylon going down, they're like, we are so sad. But for what? Did you see what they were sad for? They were sad because they no longer could have their stuff. They could no longer have their things anymore. At the end of the world, when all was going down, they were less concerned about themselves. And they were more concerned with, how am I going to watch TV? How? How am I going to continue to have whatever my heart desires? Did you see that one list in there? It listed off not just a lot of things that other people have. It listed off a lot of things that I have. It talked about flour. Okay, I like bread. It talked about fragrances. You know, for my wife's sake, so she doesn't die, I put on deodorant and cologne. Okay? Usually. <laughs> And there's just all types of things. You can look into there and say, those are things that we use. The question isn't whether we are somehow using those things. Or the question is, do we love those things more than Jesus? Because at the point that Babylon falls, the world is going, all of our stuff. How am I going to have my things? But God has said to his people, no, when Babylon goes, you, you come out from her. Don't stay behind for that stuff. Now, it's easy for us because we love Jesus say, oh, yeah, on that day, I'm totally gone and out of here. But let me ask you, on a daily basis, are you already doing that and saying, Jesus, this isn't about my stuff. Today is about you. 
I have already left my, my heart for you. This is all about you. Because while it may be easy to say, oh yeah, when Jesus comes back, I am all about him. I believe on the day that Jesus comes to destroy Babylon, there is going to be a a, a defining moment that says, no, this is actually saying a lot of people were more in love and not actually with Jesus than the people of the remnant who will go with Jesus. And the question is, which one are you? I hope from last week's sermon with the great prostitute, that's the fake church, and this one today that is talking about the system of Babylon where people love their stuff, that somewhere caught in there isn't you and me who aren't actually with Jesus. And the telling moment will be when he comes back and we say, just a second, I got to go try to retrieve all the stuff that's going to hell. And so there's a real search into our hearts that needs to be done. Not by us. You know why? Because we will lie to ourselves. We will say, oh no, I don't love stuff. And yet we are so entrapped, especially in our country, because we have a rich country. We have access. And do we love Jesus more? Has he so done a work in our hearts that even though, yeah, we need to buy clothes and we need to buy food. But as Jesus said, I first seek the kingdom of God and then all these things will be added to you. He knows we need this stuff and he's given this stuff because he knows and he has joy when he provides his children the things that they need. But it's not about those things. You, are you about Jesus? Now, you think about stuff, and you might think, well, I, I'm not about things. I mean, you can, you can look at, you know, I, I'm not about having a bunch of fancy things, but I want to bring into the category of stuff a lot of things that I think entraps us that may not be considered just items, things. It may not be something that you can have shipped to your house, but you may have that in the realm of stuff in your life. So I, I, you could probably add to this list if you want to. I'm going to read off a list that can also come under, I believe, the category of stuff. So we've talked about items, things. That could be clothing. That could be cars. That could be food. That could be trinkets. That could be any little thing. It could be jewelry. Whatever it is. Stuff. That could be items. But let me, let me list off some other things. Relationships. Do you think relationships can be stuff? Has God ever called you to go someplace and you say, I'll be there in just a minute, but first I've got to make sure that it won't cause a problem in this relationship. Have you ever done that? Relationships can be stuff where you love that relationship and are more guarded about that than your relationship with Jesus. Relationships can absolutely be stuff. How about this? Events. Have you, have you ever told Jesus, Jesus, I love you and I can't wait for you to come back, but just wait until this event is over. And sometimes it's a silly event. You know, certainly people are like, I would love to see my, my children have children. I, I want to be a grandparent or um, young couples that are almost to be married. They say, don't come back until we get married. You know, that's a, but what about little things? Have you ever been like, just, just wait until the show's over, Jesus? You know, I love this event. You know, there's weird things that we do where an event can become stuff where we, we are more trapped by that than Jesus. How about an environment? You just love a certain place and you are more consumed with making sure that place is cozy and the way you like it, you feel comfortable there, and so you're protecting an environment. How about feelings? You want to protect a feeling that you have, and so everything in your life is trying to drive. How about this feeling? Just feeling good. Isn't that what marketing and advertisement is nowadays? Is just making sure that you're feeling the way that you want to feel. Amen. 
And so, yeah, you definitely lay your money on the line to make sure you maintain that feeling. That's why when Coca-Cola during the Olympics is playing Coca-Cola ads, they're not saying, hey, our stuff tastes great. What do their ads say? Hey, just look how good they're feeling when they're drinking this. Oh, and by the way, they just came out with a new Coca-Cola product called Coca-Cola Life. It's not Diet Coca-Cola. It's not Coca-Cola 2. It's Coca-Cola Life. Okay? It's selling you a feeling and a, like, a, I just got to remain there. It's crazy. How about an organization or an activity? How many of you are so caught up in something like that? You know, I know for me, sometimes it was playing ball. That was my thing. It was, it was everything. For some of you, it's a, it's a club that you're aligned with. It's a, it's a group you're with, or it's the activities that you do with those people. And that is, that is everything to you. And you are so entrenched in that thing that it takes more priority than Jesus. It might be that. How about keepsakes and heirlooms? Some people holding on so much to things. It's like, this isn't stuff. It was just my grandma's, you know, and, uh, you know, sometimes churches do that. Well, we can't get rid of that thing because this is like an heirloom in the church. We can't get rid of it. So there's other things that come into play there. How about your collections? How about your achievements? Do you hold on to those? Well, I won, I won an award or so many people have done this and people hold on to all the things that they've done in life. That could be stuff. A way of life, entertainment, talents and skills. All these things can be added up and be used as stuff. As stuff. None of it, though, more important than Jesus. Amen. So, also through the week as I was thinking about this and how the church so easily can slide into the Babylonian way of thinking about things where the stuff is so important, we just cry and mourn about it. And we get so entrenched in, in just the stuff and purchasing power and having the money. I came up with some questions because you might be wondering, well, do I love my stuff? Do I love the activities? Do I love my collections? Do I love all these things? And I'm going to put forward a bunch of questions that were really challenging to me. And they may be challenging to you. And it might start kind of plowing the soil of your heart to say, you know what? I might actually be in love with my stuff. Question. Do you seek approval from others in order to enable Buying your stuff. I know this will happen. I'll be at home and I'll see something on sale on the internet. I'll be like, man, I, I could really use that. But I don't know if I should spend money on that. So I'll wait till Katie's at home and I'll wait till she's in a good mood and I'll, you know, <laughs> make sure, you know, I'll be like, honey, you know what? Um, I saw this thing and it's on sale and I really see how it could be. I think even the kids would like it. What do you say? And I'm waiting for my wife's approval, and that's going to be the thing that pushes me over there to click the buy button and to have it shipped to me. Okay, so sometimes I put all my, I'm waiting for somebody else to give me the approval because then it takes it off of my conscience. I'd be like, well, well, yeah, Katie said it was fine. Do you seek approval from others in order to enable your, your stuff buying? How about this? Do you stockpile things, be it money, be it supplies? Do you stockpile things? Or you might be a hoarder. Do you stockpile things as a primary attempt to gain security and peace of mind for yourself? Do you stockpile? Do you gather up a whole bunch of stuff thinking, if I have all this, then I feel safe. And you lump all of your security in that mound of money, bank account, 
whatever it is, rather than putting all your primary security in Jesus. Let me ask you if you've done this one. Does the phrase, everybody else has one, justify you buying it? Amen. I should hear a lot more amens on that one because that may be one of the best. Hey, you know what? I mean, everybody's got one. It must be useful. I mean, it's got to have it. That's a hard one. How about this one? Do you give to your church or to others uh, generously in order to justify spending for yourself? Now, I'm doing a lot of pointing when I'm asking these questions. You've got to realize Jesus was doing an awful lot of pointing at me when I'm asking these things. Do you give and are you generous over here to say, okay, I, I gave over here and now I can go, I've enabled and I've given myself permission and certainly Jesus would now allow me to spend my money on myself in this way. Hold on, I got another page of questions. When was the last time you made a purchase you just had to have? Making all kinds of justifications about it. Have you done that? Sometimes my wife's not available <laughs> to get her to give me the permission to buy the thing. And so I, I, I see that thing and it's, it's there and I'm just like, well, you know, I just have to. Ha- if I don't have this thing, I mean, how, how am I supposed to go forward with this project? There was recently I was, um, I, it was an, I just have to have it. It was this item that would help fix a, an old computer that I have. It was, it was 13 bucks, 13 bucks. And so I, I bought this thing and the thing, the thing shipped and I got it. So I ripped apart my computers and this older computer and I go put in the thing and I get the th- wrong part. So I look up online. Oh man, the, the actual part that I really, really need 13 bucks. And I just ha- I had, I had worked my array around. I had convinced myself if, if there's another computer, the kids could use it for school. And not once during that process did I stop and say, Jesus, it's a $13 part. Do you want me to buy this? I do. It's, it's the littlest things. You see how we do that? Amen. We enable ourselves by justifying in certain ways. Amen. What have you been justifying? Because you just had to have it. Okay, how, here's another question. What is your state of mind? Or maybe better, what is the state of your heart? When the package that has the thing that you really want doesn't come on the day it was supposed to arrive. Have you ever had that? It was supposed to be here on Tuesday and now I got to wait till Friday. Are you kidding me? I need that thing. And Katie said I could buy it. Or you go to the store, maybe say, well, I don't I don't have anything shipped. I don't buy on the Internet. You go to the store, you go to the. You go to the rack where the thing that you need is supposed to be there, and it's not there. It's not in stock. And so you go tracking down somebody at the store saying, it is my right. That is my thing. I am so ticked off that you don't have the thing that I need. I needed that spatula. <laughs> you know, it's the, it's the weirdest little things that we get so upset. What is the state of your mind and your heart when the thing that you can't get isn't available? That tells a lot about where your heart is. Now, this is not a thing. This is more of a one of those other stuff things. But 
How often do you bring up and dwell on the glory days rather than pressing forward in obedience at the present time? Let me read that one again because it's hard to understand. How often do you bring up the glory days rather than pressing forward in obedience at the present time? Sometimes people are like, well, I'm not about stuff like buying things, but man, I just remember the days. It was so good. We used to, everything, I mean, no, it was good. And so you're you're so caught up in that thing in the past, that stuff back there, that you can't actually even operate obediently before the Lord in the present. Let me give you an illustration. Most churches that die have an element in their current DNA that says, look at all the great things that we've done in the past. You remember back when in the church when this and this and this was happening? It was awesome. I mean, Pastor Billy was given the greatest sermons. We had so many people packing the house. We were able to build over here. We were able to do this and that. Those were the glory days in the church. And well, now, I mean, we don't even sing the hymns anymore. That's a lot of reason why the churches die. It's not that those things were bad. God was at work in those days. Those were days full of glory because Jesus and his glory was present. The problem is we have forgot to say his glory is still present. What do you want us to do today? So that happens not only in churches, it happens in personal lives where you say, you know what? Our marriage saw the glory days. (laughs) All right. We may need to talk afterwards. You're not supposed to say amen on that one. It's it's really easy to to be so idolatrous about a season of your life in the past that it's really hard to move forward in faith and joy for what the Lord is doing in the present, even if it's hard. It may be harder now. But sometimes you just write off God and say, you know what? I liked what you did for me yesterday. And so you're struggling with going on with the day. Your heart may be in love with something in the past. How often do you bring up the glory days rather than pressing forward in obedience in the present time? How much of your spending occurs under the excuse of stress relief? A hobby? Man, hobbies. People will pull out their stuff. It's a hobby. I know it's hard for me. A business expense? Well, I'm doing this, you know, for my business. For rewarding yourself. You ever do that? I've had such a hard day. You know what cheered me up? Going shopping. I know. I see a lot of the women like, yes. How about this? How much of your spending occurs under the excuse of, well, it's something I've just always done. I hear this a lot. My family's always done this. We, we've always done this, and so I have to keep doing that. I have to keep, I have to keep. And so all of our consuming happens on the basis of, well, I'm not going to stop doing it because we've always done it. Do you come up with excuses like that? It's a hobby. Uh, it's a business experience. You can probably come up with all kinds of things. This is maybe for the younger generation, but it's now becoming more of an older generation thing too, but you know those things that you get on your phones, you got uh, calls coming in, emails, tweets, Facebook notes, those are called notifications all in general. How about this one? When was the last time you ignored a notification on your phone? That's a ding, a dong, a bing, a bong. 
When was the last time you ignored a notification on your phone while you were already talking with somebody else? So let me give you an illustration of this. When I first started dating Katie, um, it was right about the time when people were starting to get more cell phones. And so I was cool. I had a cell phone for like the first time in my life. And we had started dating. So I'd gone down. I, was, I would spend time with her and her parents and her brothers. And I'd be sitting there. And um, my phone would get one of those ding-dong, bing-bong things. And I'd be talking with Katie. Or I'd be talking with her dad. I'd be like, yeah, uh-huh. It's my Elvis impersonator friend. No, seriously. I had an Elvis impersonator friend, and I was checking to see if, well, just in case somebody else who's really important is talking right now. And Katie did a really sweet thing as a person who loves me. She says, please, with your, when you're with me and my family, turn your phone off. What could be going on that's more important with those little notifications than, than talking with us? Wouldn't you want that for you? And I understand that there's times that that thing needs to happen. You need to have maybe, maybe something's coming in or you've got your job or this and that. But let me tell you this. They have found in studies that the urge to reach for your phone after a notification is stronger than the urge that a drug user has to pick up their drugs. Amen. When that goes off, you have an immense urge. And you don't even know where it comes from to check it. To check it. So you'll be talking to somebody that you love. And you're investing and they're investing in you. And you're in a conversation. And that phone goes off and you break away and go check it. Right? That is, are you so in love with just notifications? Are you so, you don't even recognize it's happening. That's a really hard one. It's a really hard one nowadays. How many of you have a hard time turning off the television when other people are over? Somebody shows up and says, Hey, how are you doing? They come in and sit down. And you're like, doing fine? I know I do. If there's an important ball game on, yeah, I mean, you're important, but they're just about to kick the field goal. <laughs> you know, it's really hard sometimes because we're so caught up in, that's, that's more of the entertainment activity, my favorite team stuff. You know, heart's so pulled there. This is a big one. Does your view of eternal life, what's coming in the future for all of eternity, does your view of eternal, eternal life generally consist of merely having all of your favorite things and everything that you desire now and all the people that you love? Does it generally consist of all those things, having them all around you 24-7 and without interruption and at a greater degree? You know what I'm saying? Because a lot of times people will talk about, oh yeah, when I get to heaven... I'll be playing basketball all day. When I get to heaven, I'm just going to eat as much as pie as I want. When I get to heaven, I will never have to say goodbye to Katie. When I get to heaven, I'll be with so... It's, it's all, we take what we love that's favorite around here, all of our stuff things, be they things, relationships, organizations, time, whatever it is, we say, when you're eternity, it's just, I'm going to have it more. I'm going to have... All that I want, and it's just going to be more. Kids were watching a television show this morning, and there was a discussion between two of the cartoon characters about Santa Claus. And the alien... (laughs) And there was an alien, and um, the little girl was trying to explain 
Santa Claus uh, to the alien. And, and it was said, well, everybody loves Santa Claus because he gives you everything you want. Is that how you view Jesus and what he's going to do for eternity? Well, the reason I love Jesus is because he's going to give me everything I want for eternity. Just bigger. My big screen TV, bigger. <laughs> My pies, bigger. My feelings of joy, just bigger. That's true. He wants you to have a bigger feeling of joy. Just not about TVs and pies, but about him. Amen. About him. So I've run through a list of questions. We can come up with questions all day to start rooting out some of the things that are in your heart and my heart and say, do we love our stuff? And when Babylon goes down, are we going to be weeping about that stuff? Are we going to be so entrapped with this question? Can I afford it? Let me tell you, the question, can I afford it, needs to be less about how much something costs and how much money you have and whether you can cover it, and more about can you afford to continue loving other things more than Jesus at the cost of your eternal soul? It is not worth it. The kings of the earth, the merchants, the shippers and the suppliers, the people who bought it, they all cried because their stuff was being destroyed. And you know what they did? They desired to go down with it. Jesus talked about this. He said, the son of man is going to come back. And he warned them saying, when he comes back, do you remember what happened to Lot's wife? Now, if you go back in the Old Testament, there's a story about there was a wicked city, Sodom and Gomorrah. And there was a man who lived there named Lot and his wife was there as well. God had sent angels in to go rescue Lot and his wife from Sodom and Gomorrah. And so the angels came in and they said, you need to leave. God is going to destroy this city. And you know what Lot and his wife did when they were told the news that where they lived was about to be destroyed? They just sat there. And you know what the angel had to do? Grabbed them by the hand and said, run. It's time to go. And as they went, they were told, do not look back. You have to press on to where God is taking you. Don't look back. And so Lot and his wife took off and they're going with the angels, having been grabbed by the hand. And as they're going out, Lot's headed forward and his wife did what? Look back. Why? Because what ahead wasn't glorious. No, it was. That was salvation. But what was behind? Her stuff. That was where her beautiful couch was. That's where she raised her kids. That's where the package from UPS was going to be delivered on Tuesday, but maybe Friday. And who knows what the, she looked back because there was her life of stuff. And what ended up happening is she never made it to freedom to salvation. What occurred was a test that said in her heart, she didn't love God and where he was taking her in salvation. She actually loved her stuff. And as a result, she turned into a pillar of salt. And Jesus says, be careful, because on that day, your heart will be tested. Will you be tested to be true towards Jesus? Or will you be tested to just be in love with you and yourself and your stuff? Amen. Now, my advice is don't wait until that day to find out. Start practicing now. If you love Jesus, 
take those questions. Take, start applying them and say, Jesus, okay, I've got a, a purchasing decision right before me. I've got a, a scheduling decision right before me. So this is your time, Jesus, and this is your money, and I am your servant. What do you want me to do with this? Because the reality is, Jesus isn't saying that you can't have stuff because stuff is evil. That's not the problem. Your computer isn't evil. Your money in your pocket, that's not evil. Your car is not evil. Your schedule, it's not evil. Those things aren't evil. Your environment's not evil. What's evil is you are. I am. Because we have this nature that says it's about me and it's about us. And so start practicing and saying, okay, Lord, I'm yours. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to buy? What do you want me to be about? And it is about him. And he'll start guiding you about how he wants you to manage your time, your mind, your money. And he may say, I want you to buy this. You need to get this. And you don't know what it's for. And you may say, why do I have this? And then he'll say, because I want you to bring it to vacation Bible school. He'll begin to tell you things and the way to operate. And you'll see that what he's having me to do is for the sake of his business. And his business is this. Trying to rescue people from Babylon. And he's already calling them out and saying, don't. Don't get so in love with her on the day that I come when I say, come out of her. You don't leave her. But you stay with her. And you go down to eternity lost. This is one of the hardest things for the church to give up. Our stuff. Because we think it's a right of ours. That God has blessed us so much. He's blessed us with money, a great economy in this place, places to buy and things that are great to buy. I'm blessed. And I'm not always convinced that that's a blessing. Why would Satan not say, here's your blessings, and get us so consumed in all that stuff that we would no longer be consumed with Jesus? I want you to consider in your life, as those questions and as we talk about the scripture comes up, there was one passage in uh, one verse in there, verse 14, that said this. What is the fruit that your soul longs for? It said that they, there was fruit that their soul longed for. It wasn't just that they physically wanted, that their mind. What is your soul saying? I've got to have that stuff, that thing, that time. That person. And I want you to take that thing and put it right there. Everybody got yours? It's probably, we could probably go around to everybody in this room and everybody have a different stuff thing. And you're saying, this, this is the thing that my soul longs for. It is tempted by that. I love it. I, I guess I worship that. You got that thing? Let me ask you this. Jesus. God took on flesh and came down to earth. It says he did that because he loved us. He took on flesh. And so he walks through his life. He has not sinned because he's going to be the perfect sacrifice. He's going to die in your place, in my place. And as he goes up that hill, Calvary, and he stares down that cross 
And he's just about to be there and to be nailed on that cross because he's going to die for your sin and my sin so that he can rescue us out of Babylon and take us into eternity to live with him and have joy for forever beyond even our wildest dreams in his presence. And at that moment, he goes to die on that cross. He looks over and on the side of the hill, he sees that thing that you are worshiping in your life. What if Jesus in that moment said, hey, I'm just about to die for you. Oh, wait, that looks really good. And what if he got down off that cross and he said, I'm going to put aside what I'm about to do and I'm just going to, this thing's pretty good. I mean, I just got to have it. It was on sale. Well, I can't do without my relationship with my father for a little while. See, what if Jesus in that moment had worshipped something else? Your sin would not have been paid for. But he loved you so much that he did not even spare his own life. He actually gave his life up for you. He gave all for you. There was nothing that he said, I worship it more than saving these people and doing the Father's will. And so a lot of times the Lord has us to say, here's this thing in my life, and Lord, I give it up. I offer it to you. Help me to make better decisions concerning this thing because, Lord, I want to be ready and practiced, having already said, have your way in the way I spend my money, the what I love, and this and that, because on that day I don't want to turn into a pillar. So I don't want to be destroyed. I don't want to be proven to be a fake. I want to go on to life. I don't want to put expectations on what that's going to be because it's not just going to be the North Pole. You're going to be with the God of the universe who loves you. And it's going to be wildly amazing. Usually during our service, we partway through call up the ushers. And people pull out stuff that they've earned. And they they sacrifice and they give. And we have a very generous church and we, we put things in here. I'm going to ask the ushers to please come forward. Some of you may thinking, oh wait, this whole time this was a setup just to get more money. He's going to take that rascal, he's going to take another offering. What we're going to do here, I don't want you to take out your wallets. I don't think God cares about it. I don't want you to take off your jewelry. I don't want you to. But as these plates come around and we're going to pass them. I want you to take that thing that you've said. The Lord identified for this, this as something that's causing me to stumble. I love this thing. This is my stuff. And I want you as this comes around to. To imagine yourself putting that thing in the offering plate just as fast as you would put a dollar bill. And say, I, I gotta leave this thing. I don't want to look back at this thing. The Lord might not say that you have to completely leave that thing. You just have to change your mind and your heart about it. If you love another person more than you love God, you love your wife, your spouse more than you love God, He's not asking you to leave your spouse. He's just got to change the way you're operating so that He's everything for you. 
And so as these plates come around, I don't expect to see any money. I don't want any money in these when they come back. I want us to say, Lord, these are representative of all the things that we have made an idol in your place. We have loved these things more than you. This is our stuff. And so this time, the ushers are going to go and, and uh, just have this be a tangible representation of you offering your stuff to the Lord. After we take our offerings, normally we stand and we sing the doxology, and we're going to do that today as our closing song. If any of you want to pray about this, you're welcome to come forward. Don't, don't think because we're exiting that, that you need to stop um, praying. But we're going to sing, and think about the words that we're singing during this song. Think about what we're saying. And then we'll pray, and then, and then we'll exit. And this is our opportunity to go say, Lord, we're exiting, we're going to you. This isn't about stuff that we're going to, lunch that we're going to, schedule. We're going to go walk, and we're going to walk in the Lord now and be ready for the day of His return. So please stand with me as we've seen the doxology and then go walk in the Lord. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him.